Welcome to our third in our ongoing series of podcasts from our distinguished alumni interviews. This one is with probably one of our big standouts, Hannah Lankler, who graduated in the, the distinguished class of 2020 um, and was the Norman Award winner from the Robbins School of Business. I had Hannah in three classes uh, throughout her college career and in the marketing area, and she was just an outstanding student in all three, well above. She, she was teaching me some things I didn't know. She's just a real star. Um, after graduating in May, Hannah was extremely worried because she thought she would be bored because her job didn't start till September. So as one who's not real good at sitting home doing nothing, Hannah said, you know what, I'll start my own business. And because my local um, retailers in Larchmont, I think is where she's from, don't really know how to manage through this pandemic, I'm gonna start a digital business that helps promote their products. And she did that, it's super successful. She has hired a number of our current students, several of which are in my current class, as her, as her uh, assistants. Hannah has also started full-time at Bloomingdale's as an assistant buyer. And you know, I'm, I'm sure she'll be doing even more before this is all over. So here's our interview with Hannah, she is just phenomenal. You know, I I was always going to start working in September. I was kind of assuming that I was going to be able to travel or just do something with this time. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, obviously because of COVID, that wasn't the case. And I was idle for about like two weeks after graduating until I realized that's not how I operate. <laughs> and I definitely need um, something to do, but I wasn't looking for as big of a project as this ended up being. Um, it really came from noticing that it appeared that there was this market of people in my town um, and in other small towns that were very, very concerned that by the end of COVID, they were going to go out and their towns were going to be all boarded up. Their real estate was going to drop in value because there was going to be, you know, no more stores, no more of that like community, no reason to really be going, you know, into town. And it's the same reason people were like buying gift cards and doing takeout from restaurants. People want that stuff to survive during this time. Um, But it was really clear that especially with a lot of these stores not having online businesses, that there was just no easy way to do it that people, you know, felt comfortable with. A lot of people didn't want to go do appointments in a store or, you know, were kind of you know, didn't even think to look and see if half of these stores had websites because that's not traditionally what local stores are there for. They're not there so you can go online and shop them. Um, So the whole idea, you know, it started off as, oh, I'll market them on social media because a lot of them, their social media is like a little rough, you know, maybe I can step in there and it snowballed and snowballed and ended up just becoming its own kind of full-fledged e-commerce business um, where, you know, I started very local to me um, so that I could provide a lot more services like delivering things, which lower shipping costs, 
for the businesses. But now that stores are opening up a little bit more, um, we're kind of ready to expand beyond that. We started, I think the idea really like kicked off and I started working on it at the end of May. And then we launched only three weeks ago. So were you surprised at how poor local stores are at, at digital communications and digital marketing? I mean, how, how pitiful they're, uh, that was, <laughs> how uh, unsophisticated their websites were, how little they knew about it. I mean, you would think, where you're in Larchmont, right? I mean, you would think in Larchmont, New York, suburban New York City, that they their kids could create a website for them that would be cool. Why, what's, what's the problem? I would, you know, there's two separate things. We have to remember that really before COVID, these stores weren't relying on catching, capturing people through social media or through the internet. They just weren't. Everyone that's on my website right now, none of them have websites and they're all working on creating them now because they realized if the second wave comes, they're going to be in trouble. And I think that if you're not forced to be pushed into that, you're not going to invest in it as heavily. Um, also, you know, absolutely not to stereotype small business owners, but they tend to be in an older age, age range. So they might not be as familiar with what's really going to capture people on social media and what's really going to get people following them. And I've learned so many things about Facebook and Instagram stores that I absolutely did not know that you can do that have upped the traffic to my website like crazy. And that's something I think a lot of people don't even think to look for. It's really like kind of been a scramble for a lot of businesses um, to adjust to this, you know, world where they might have to rely on that, on that internet connection a lot more than they had to before. I'm always fascinated by the second you get to someone over 40 and their ability digitally is embarrassing. Um, and they'll talk a good game and they'll say, oh, we buy Google AdWords and oh, yeah, we're generating revenue. And then you say, well, how much are you generating and how many AdWords have you bought and how much do you have? And they, they don't know. Um, Project Retail really was supposed to be even for the people that were running website where you were like, okay, this looks pretty good. You know, this is like doable. It's supposed to be really modern and really concise and consolidated. It's like way easier than sifting through all of the inventory um, from one store that's now online that, you know, just from their website, you don't have a ton of faith in you know how well they're operating um even though when you walk into the store you're like this is amazing it just for a lot of stores it doesn't translate online and the hope was that project retail could make it really new and really modern um and you know kind of drive people to look online for these stores that they wouldn't have otherwise so i know you're only two or three weeks into this and it's way too early um to ask this question but are any of these stores getting business outside of this area? I mean, are they getting business from, from Phoenix or from Tucson? And are they like, whoa, how did that happen? We have had orders to Albuquerque, to Dallas, to East Hampton, um, Arlington, Virginia. So we're definitely reaching 
you know, more people. And I, it always makes me a little nervous when I send it on because they cover shipping costs. And I'm always like, oh, are they going to be happy about this? Are they going to be like, what the heck? And they're always thrilled because that's a sale that 100% they would not have made otherwise. Um, that's kind of, I think, especially as we start to expand into other areas, it's going to be a lot easier to get people from those areas invested. But when you're pushing it out to a pretty broad marketing, you know, a pretty broad group and I just graduated college and everyone's moved back to, you know, where they are and I'm capturing all those people, it gives them an opportunity to, to reach the, that audience. Got it. So if I go to, um, could I replicate what you're doing in, in Port Washington, New York? I mean, do, does it have to, it doesn't just have to reside where you are. You could take this model and go, I mean, are people doing this elsewhere? Are you finding competitors or anything? I haven't found anyone doing it kind of small scale or the same way that I've done it. I don't know if any of you have heard of Shoptiques. I certainly hadn't, um, but it's a company that kind of, you know, did this, but they did it with 2000 stores and they don't really vet the stores and everyone's putting their own pictures up and it's just so overloaded and so oversaturated with products. And, you know, I, I make a point to have, you know, you're not going to go on project retail just because you're looking at stores. You have like a Lily Pulitzer dress and a Bohemian poncho and a studded leather jacket because it's all over the place and people are going to have no idea what they're, they should expect when we get there. So shop Tease is the only, you know, other business that I've seen do this, but they're big. They're really big. They, and in my opinion, they're too big. Um, I definitely would encourage people to like go on and see kind of what it's about. Um, but I definitely, you know, I think it shows the value of what we do in like taking all of our own photos and, you know, making sure everything fits a very specific aesthetic because otherwise you really, like I went on that website and I was like, you lost me. <laughs> it's just not into it, but it could totally be replicated for other areas easily. Um, I think, you know, it's really just a lot of work, um, but I think it's something actually really important. I think it's, it's really, you know, it's my favorite thing in the world to get to text these businesses and be like, oh, we just sold $500 of product. Can you take it off the floor? And they're like, yes, of course, you know, like I'm on it. And I think that, you know, it's really empowering for them and it empowers consumers to shop small, which is so much more important than people realize. So I am definitely working on expanding outwards and it could absolutely be replicated with the right people and the right equipment in other areas. So, so I hate, to, I, I, knowing that my good buddies at Neiman Marcus just bit the bullet um, and are going bankrupt, which freaks me out, but I'm sure they'll be back. But is what you're doing the beginning of the new retail store where you're, where you're stocking it from various stores around, I mean, if you were larger, which you will be soon, around yeah. Westchester and Connecticut. And for all intents and purposes, you're creating a department store with your vision and small store as, as and with their inventory. So what really I, when I explain it to people, I'm like, it's like how Revolve or Bloomingdale's takes a bunch of different brands and puts them on a site. But instead of being brands, they're just different stores. Right. Um, so I definitely think it has that same kind of appeal that you can go and you can get so many, you know, 
so much variety in just one spot and you can get a place that does really well with jewelry and you can also get, you know, really great tops. It kind of consolidates it in the same way something like Bloomingdale's did. If I were to scale it, um, and I know I've discussed this with you before, the number one thing that would have to happen is we would need to have a coded system that links our inventory systems because right now I'm manually checking in with everyone and inputting the updates. Um, and I'm going to have someone to be doing that for me by the beginning of next week. But it, you know, it would be a lot easier if that was automatic. And especially if we were to be large scale, it's, it's absolutely possible to code that, you know, systems integrate with one another all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure Square could, you know, integrate with other inventory businesses, which is the system that I use. Um, so that would be the number one thing. If I was thinking of growing anywhere past probably 15 stores, if I ever got there, that would be the point where I would say, okay, we got to not do this manually anymore. <laughs> and you can't do it manually because you couldn't keep up with it and you, people wouldn't be getting their merchandise. I don't want to ask my stores to be constantly checking in and say, oh my God, we, we just sold that short, that pair of shorts is on project retail, we need to text her. I think it's, you know, kind of a lot to ask of them. I know in the grand scheme of things right now, it seems really small because business is slow, but you don't know, like once things pick up and hopefully we don't have a second wave, um, you know, if that would be something that's really difficult for a lot of businesses to do. And I don't want to put them in a position or my consumers in a position where we're out of something that for some reason it says it's in stock on my site. Cool. Well, I'm gonna turn this over to my favorite questioner who is Caroline mm -hmm. um, and see if she has a question for you. Sorry, Caroline. Oh, no worries. Um, <laughs> I know you talked a little bit about sort of expanding and how it could be replicated in different areas, but do you think there are other sort of, I'd say like, not industries, but sort of like types of stores that could follow the same model. I know you're focused a lot on sort of consumer retail goods, but do you think there are other industries in which sort of other groups of small businesses could find a way to sort of do something similar? Like, you know, like home design, like interior? Yeah. yeah. I think honestly, you know, I thought a lot about, you know, we have little stores that sell these just like really great, you know, little trinkets or bowls or like that kind of stuff. And I really was like, do I want to include that? Like, do I want to, you know, grow it and, and do something really similar? I think all that needs to happen there is there actually does need to be kind of a lot of options. Um, there are a lot of boutiques to choose from, even in just like a two hour radius of me. Um, so for someone to start it and start it in one area, they would need to be able to find a lot of different stores that they could get on a website that have, you know, that sell different brands. For clothes, I feel like it's just massive. Um, so that industry would have to have that same variety. I, I have a quick question. How do you negotiate with these stores? How do you, uh, uh oh, here comes somebody. They're coming in. It takes a little bit of time <laughs> with, with these alumni. Oh, she'll be here. How do you negotiate with these stores? Do you go in and say, hey, I've started this new company. Um, I'm a superstar and I'll, I'll take 20%. I'll take 20 cents on every dollar you sell. I mean, is that how it, you take a percentage or what, what, well, what happens? Right now, were nonprofit, and that's for two reasons. The first well, is that's like the Bergman Group. Yeah, <laughs> the it's been a labor of love. Um, the 
first is that it felt like the right thing to do with COVID. Um, and given that, you know, everyone was like, this is so much for you to take on. I was like, I don't think you understand that my summer schedule is zero. There is nothing <laughs> like this is all I will do. Um, so I, you know, had the time I get incredible experience out of it. Um, so it felt like the right thing to do. And also I have never started a business before and I'm so happy of course with the progress that we've made and how it's doing, but I make mistakes along the way. And it's, you know, I think it's fair right now to make those mistakes with businesses that are only benefiting and there's really no cost to them other than them lending me their products for three days um, so that I can shoot them. Um, two of my partners uh, that I've worked with right now, just because I haven't even talk to the third in, in a minute, but have said, we will pay you commission for this. Um, so I think the new model in a while, you know, I'm definitely hesitant, um, but will be a flat fee to get onto the website and then probably 15% commission because, and I think it's very easy for me to say an influencer just uh -huh. for posting makes 10 to 15% if someone buys that. Yeah. I'm just posting it. I'm taking the photos. I'm getting it on a website. I'm doing all of this stuff. And you know, that please, that flat fee is going to be like $200. It's not going to be like a thousand bucks to get, you know, it's going to be kind of minimal um, for the amount of work that goes into a very consistent, you know, we're always updating our stuff. We're always taking new photos. I'm in these stores pretty much every day. Um, so I think that to say that's what an influencer gets. And I offer you know, this nice fat list of services in addition to that. And like, I want to be in a, par a partner with you and I really want to help you succeed. That, you know, means something. So right now my pitch is you have nothing to lose. If you make one sale you wouldn't have made otherwise, you know, that's when, and I don't want to undersell the it. Donald but, Trump you know, move there. That, yeah. is, that is, you know, you really just don't have anything, you know, it can only help. And then I give them all my content for free. So I say, you're, they all say, my social media is terrible. Taking these photos is so hard. And I say, I'll give you all my photos that I take of your products for free. And normally by then they're like, yeah, duh, I'm there. And I think honestly, maybe it will make sense in the future to do every business 30 days free so that they can see how it works. And then they pay the fee because I really, you know, it sounds like cheesy or whatever, but I really do just like right now want to help. Um, I think these businesses do so much for us. People underestimate small businesses. They're 44% of our economy. They create local jobs. They hire local services. They add so much to every town. Um, and I'm sure everyone has in their hometown a few stores that that's their go-to to like get someone a quick gift or something. And I think that, you know, they serve something really important and it's a lot of work, I'm sure. And right now I just want to support them. So I'm going to take you from your do-gooder college days now into the real world here for a minute. But couldn't you couldn't you play the Tom Shoes game here or something, or couldn't you do a Patagonia move here where, oh, I you, I'm I'm being a snooty baby boomer. I apologize <laughs> for that. But but couldn't you do something like, hey, for I'm making this up for every X I make, I'm going to make a donation um to a local organization here in town i mean doesn't that offer a better a better to people buying it gives them the benefit of your supporting not only the local retailer but the town itself um, and it makes you look like a do-gooder at the same time 
So right now, just that's definitely going to be a move that I do often. Um, once I'm making money right now, when I make those donations, I did on Juneteenth. Um, it was the day after I launched and I was like, I don't want to be marketing today. I should not be taking up any space on social media, um, with everything going on. And I, you know, put on social media that I was donating to the ACLU with every, you know, purchase uh -huh. we got, every order over a certain amount. Um, but I do have to be careful with it right now because that does come out of my own pocket and so yeah. does everything else with the business. Um, right now for the do-gooder, you know, message, we really, I've really been pushing, you're doing something great by supporting small businesses. Like it really is a really great cause and it's really important. It's more important than people realize. I'm doing a whole like story next week on my Instagram about just what a big effect it has um, on the economy and just on these people. And I try to do that without saying, this is charity because yeah. these businesses are great, you know, like you should shop them anyways. Um, but I do try to say the first thing you see when you go onto the website is you're one step closer to helping a small retail business. Right. That's kind of where, and then people find out I'm doing it for free and then there's really no problem buying from the website. You know, right. it's not better to go into the store. It's the same. Right. So right now that's kind of the angle that I'm playing. Cause of course, consumers buy when they feel good about what they're what they're doing and I definitely all of our thank you cards and everything that we put in those orders definitely speaks to that you know thank you for helping a small business I'll stop asking all these questions talk <laughs> about those thank you cards what's that all about and what happens and how do you coordinate that with the retailers and how are you assured that they're doing it and do you stay up at night worrying about them not doing what they're supposed to um I definitely let my i'm very fortunate to work with some really like kick butt people and i don't monitor them but i've gotten text messages or dms on instagram pictures of the packaging and everything that was sent over and i've been like blown away by how good it looks i'm like so excited um palmer jewelers we just like launched with last week um got a really big order and they just did such a beautiful job so um, in terms of the promotional materials that I give them, um, I always ask, just put a card in like your business card at least. Cause if there's any issue, we're kind of out of the process at that point. Um, but I give them a, the project retail story postcard. Um, that is the same kind of thing as the about us on our website, just explaining, you know, where it came from. Um, and it's a letter from me. Um, it's, written clearly from my voice and then more from the business we have thank you cards that are branded that say thank you so much for supporting a local business we hope you love your product as much as we do you know every purchase counts you know like a quick kind of message like that and then a lot of times the retailers um will also put in a handwritten note which i thought was so cute i didn't even ask them to do that and then whatever their boxes or bags that they put in the thing that are branded for them they pop a project retail sticker on it that's pretty big it's like this big <laughs> so people definitely um can see that that stuff is you know more it's a little costly um so i stay as updated as i possibly can with it and i you know I am constantly running to the stores and dropping off more when they need. Um, but I trust my businesses. I think they do a really good job. So you're as much a consultant as an executor of a retail strategy. 
if they ever ask for my advice, I'm right there to give it. But, <laughs> for sure. You are giving them advice. I mean, you're pretty much showing them how to do social media. You're very much showing them how to get outside of their current trade area. And you're very, show, you're very much showing them how to, um, if you get a current customer, how do you stay at them? Yeah. Um, which I, you're probably not very good at. I think that's fair to say. Okay. <laughs> I definitely try. It, it all has to be cohesive and consistent. The second we lose that, it becomes kind of the cluster mess that, you know, Chop Teeth says. So I think that, you know, they know how important that is. I have had, you know, the only thing that I really hold my ground on, if they tell me like, oh, this needs, this photo needs to show the dress more or this, you know, like, I'm like, absolutely. The only thing I hold my ground on is my social media. Uh -huh. My Instagram is not strictly for shopping it's for like browsing and enjoying and getting a vibe for what we do and our aesthetic and our look and all that kind of stuff so when they say oh like that photo in black and white they're not going to know what color it is i'm like it's on the website <laughs> it's tagged they can literally click on it like that and it pops up and they see it in color that photo looks cool in black and white like that's what i'm thinking of more for my social media Got it. um so that is the only thing that I say, you know, I say, yes, of course, whatever. And then I continue to do. <laughs> All right. One more thing for me and I'll let everybody else speak. But, you know, does it surprise you that you're so into the whole social media scene? I, not that I am a heavy follower, but I didn't see you that often in college as a social media hardcore type compared to some of your friends. Were, are you shocked that you've, you've been attracted to it so much? I think that when it's not for you personally and you don't feel like you're personally like putting yourself out there to like be judged essentially, it's uh -huh. way less, it's way more fun. I just, I post exactly what I want. I, you know, I post what I think looks good and I enjoy doing it. Um, when you have that opportunity to totally like start from scratch and choose exactly how it's going to look. Um, and you know, we have a lot of great content to use. I think it's so different. Yeah. My personal social media only, I really only started using it again. I think I posted like once every three months. Yeah. Maximum. Um, and I only use it now to promote project retail. I'm sure people are like, great, this girl again. <laughs> that's gotta be more, that's gotta be kind of cool because it's like, and we've heard this from other influencers. It's like, I, I kind of protect my personal life a little bit from it. This isn't this isn't me, Hannah Leckler, sh showing my emotions on things. This is really me as a business person trying to promote a business. And definitely the idea of like me being the one in the photos and all of that kind of stuff, which I wouldn't have done if I hadn't seen that that is what works best. Yeah. Um, people really need to get attached apparently to kind of one voice and one image for with something so small um and i think that you know i'm really excited to start shooting some other people and get them on the page um but i think speaking you know as myself on the instagram and it me being on it and then me being on the website it makes it feel kind of homemade but in in a good way um not like it's just this like kind of cold and disconnected, you know, I want it to be a community. Um, and that was kind of the reasoning behind having 
me personally so featured on on that page because then people that know me are like, okay, I want to support this, which is, right. if I didn't think I had that, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> got it. All right, somebody else can ask a question. We got the Gen Zers here, so they're going to be kind of quiet. But anybody <laughs> about the whole concept of starting a business um, and the fears of doing that? I have a question. Did it, uh, first, yeah. Sorry for being late. Hi, Hannah. It's so good to see you. We don't see your picture, so we are. You my computer isn't working. My Wi-Fi isn't working, but I'm here <laughs> by audio. Okay. Um, I just had a question. I asked this question last night to Amy. Um, I don't know if you said this before, but what inspired you? Like, did you have this planned for, like, a number of years now? Did you, like, wake up and say... I want to do this. This is something that I want to do. And then my actual question is, because I'm sure you said that already, um, how did you get your feet off the ground? Like, did someone help you? Like this, so that's my question for like your initial like start process. Yeah. So the inspiration is I wanted to do something and my initial idea was small, just help promote them on social media and it'll be a fun project for the summer and I'll learn more about retail and you know, do something valuable with this time. And then it ended up just snowballing into becoming an e-commerce business. Um, so, you know, it was really inspired by a clear, people wanted to help these businesses and just didn't have a good way to do it. Um, did not think about this for years. I stayed up for three days writing the deck that I eventually sent out to, to my initial first set of stores. And from the inception of the idea to when I sent it out was three days. So, um, definitely spontaneous. Um, what was your other question? Just kind of like how you oh, got how I your feet off the ground. Um, so I actually um, had received money along with an award from the Robin School, and I used that as my initial funding um, because it felt like something good to put it into. Um, and I used that initially, and I built basically everything like the whole framework the website you know got ideas for what i wanted the social media to look i made a bunch of like mood boards to know exactly what i wanted so i didn't want to you know change the logo a month in or whatever um and i took that money i bought the website i bought the domain um i started ordering promotional materials and really you know i think the best thing i did was i created a deck that just had all of the information spelled out as easy, you know, as can be. And it made me think of things like little details that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise about how we're going to track everything. And, you know, how are they going to know about this fee that comes out of it from the credit card company? And those little things I had to really think about. So I made a deck that was as much for my future partners as it was for me. Um, and then I, you know, had to consistently say, okay, I need to stop pushing this back and pushing it back. I need to send this out. I need to stop pushing back launch date. I need to just go for it. Um, and I feel like that kind of, you know, doing all of that prep work really hardcore in the beginning made it a lot smoother once we eventually launched. But I definitely feel like a lot of the time I was like, I just need to do it. And I jumped into it and just hoped for the best. <laughs> Not, not to scare anybody here, and I've talked about this in class, I apologize. I apologize especially to Hannah for talking about it for the hundredth time to her, but I don't, I don't think Warby Parker was any more sophisticated when they started. 
I think it was, I just bought these glasses and it cost 800 bucks. There's got to be a better way to do that. And, and over beers, two people started Warby Parker. So I think you just wake up one day and go, I'm going to go do something. I'm bored. Um, and bang. And then either you get into it and it's exciting and you spend 25 years at it like the Bergman group, or you go, uh, you know, just, I don't like it. Yeah, um, in this no, case, not making that deck if it was something I didn't want to do. Right. For sure. <laughs> so I think it's it's just an enthusiasm that you build, and either it's in you or it's not in you. And I'm not sure, you know, while we teach courses in entrepreneurialism, which makes me laugh every time I say that, I think it's just something you got to go do. Definitely. I was very entrepreneurship averse. Like I was like, I had no interest in it. I thought it was not. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> Truly. What are you thinking there, Addie? You into this? Yes, I was just going to say, um, I'm so impressed, but also like your advice on just doing it and getting started and just kind of hoping, well, obviously you did amazing prep work, but once all of that's done and you're confident in it, just going for it. And um, I posted a video today that was, in our Facebook group, kind of like that. But I agree, and I think that is um, just amazing, and I'm so impressed. Thank you. This is like my like my baby, so it's like really exciting if it resonates with people. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I do have a question. I guess um, it happened all so quickly, you know, for you and. You know, is there anything unexpected that has kind of come along or anything that like maybe you didn't think about beforehand that's come up that's been like interesting or not necessarily a challenge, but um, yeah, just something like unexpected, I guess. Yeah, I would say um, there's a few things. I think having, you know, a business reach out to me versus the other way around when I always thought I was going to be begging businesses to work with me was really exciting. And I had to go into it with a kind of very different mindset. And then just because, you know, orders are, I had to change my kind of KPI to like, it's all about the orders. It's all about the orders to like, it's also about how many views we get on the site, how many people are adding things to their cart, our conversion rate, you know, like there's, there's more things other than orders. So I think you know, actually, once I shifted my view away from that, the order started coming in and it was really about, you know, keeping up. And I always thought that I could do it all myself. And I was completely incorrect on that, um, especially, you know, just with all the businesses that I'm hoping to work with that, you know, I kind of have on deck. Um, I think the biggest thing was having to learn how to build a team and figure out exactly what those roles are going to look like, because that's something I never anticipated doing. Um, I always thought that it was just going to be me grinding during the summer. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely now realizing that I'm doing a disservice to my partners if it's just me, because I can't give them as much as I want to give them. So Building like an internship program last Friday was a very interesting experience that I didn't um, expect. And I think honestly, the whole like leadership aspect of that is going to be really interesting as well. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I think that's the biggest shock about starting a small business is the day you were in, the sooner you realize it, the better, is that you're just an employee here. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't do this. I'm never going to go to sleep. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm going to have to trust people to get it done. And you can talk about that in class till you're blue in the face, but until you face it, you can't realize it. Yeah. I mean, you can take strategic management, take all those great courses, but you've got to go do it and realize, holy smokes, I'll die if I do all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what's it like on Wall Street there, um, uh, uh, Caroline, in terms of how they look at businesses, how they evaluate businesses? What would, what would Wall Street be saying to, uh, to Hannah at this point? Um, I mean, I think it, I mean, I think the last sort of three, four months has definitely shifted how we're looking at businesses. And I think definitely there's been a shift in the last few years and that's very much sort of been highlighted further by COVID, just anything that's really digital first. Um, and that, you know, brick and mortar is great, but I, I don't, I'm not someone that thinks like retail's dead, but I'm also not someone that thinks it could sort of continue the way it could, sort of like you were saying with our beloved Neiman Marcus going bankrupt. Um, sure. But I think, I don't know, I think it's just sort of, we have really had to look at not just sort of the companies we're currently invested in, but then ones that we're starting to look at for the first time, not being able to sort of go visit the company and get to know people. And I think anything that's really, Digital first, direct to consumers, definitely, I think, going to have a much bigger role in, in retail and then I think other industries as well moving forward. I think there's definitely, I don't know, I think the consumer mindset has shifted. And I think as investors, we're really trying to figure out sort of the next 10, 20 year trends. Um, we actually stopped investing in consumer in the US a couple of years ago. We just didn't really feel like there was anything new and interesting that sort of fit our model, we're growth investors, so we're not sort of the typical LBO, Take Private, Blackstone, KKRs of the world. Um, but there was sort of a discussion like two weeks ago, you know, do we want to reevaluate this space? So I don't know, I think it'll be interesting. But I just have a really quick question for you. How do you think Project Retail sort of fits in to like the next phase? You were saying a lot of your businesses, they're sort of starting to get their own websites up and running. Once they have those, sort of what becomes your role? Do you just replace them with a different business that hasn't gotten up and running or do you think you sort of still have a place with them so um i actually the fourth partner that's not on yet has a beautiful website she crushed it she's on instagram everything is shoppable you know her content is pretty decent um she buys i think her photos from her vendors so they're like models and it looks great and when I reached out to her, I was like, we'll just be a compliment to that. It's just an additional channel. And at the very least, it's free marketing because maybe someone that hasn't seen you before will see you. And when I tag you in things, your website is, you know, I don't care if they shop you from Project Retail. I care that they shop you. So if, you know, I tag you in something and they go to your page and they see you have a website and they shop from you instead, even better, which will be driving people to your website and that will get you more sales too. So I think that I always like to say it's a compliment, not a substitute for an online business. Um, of course, keeping in mind that if you think that your on online business is fine as it is, I you know, would question if someone said it's you know, so great and it's enough and 
We don't need a free additional channel that's going to give us free content and marketing. Um, you know, that must mean they're doing extremely well. And if, you know, any of the businesses that I work for ended up having that, I would be super happy with them and I would just keep on going and finding more businesses. But Rag and Bone sells on Revolve and they have their own website and they have their own stores. So I think that, you know, having a multi-channel, you know, setup is really great for um, these kinds of businesses that already struggle so much to capture that online market. So I think that we do still have a role um, in that. And it would be actually 20 times easier for me if they had websites, because then they track their inventory, they know what they have, they have, you know, images that sometimes we can use, uh, their descriptions are all there. So that's honestly easier for us. Um, but, you know, it's really if people see value in partnering with us. And I think that so far, I've done a pretty good job of convincing people that why not have an additional channel. So help me with something, uh, Hannah. Um, and as you will recall from two years ago, maybe three even, um, that we discussed in principles of marketing when there is a multi-channel distribution system, how do you control pricing? I mean, how do how do you know that you're offering a comparable price that they're offering? Sorry about that. Oh my gosh. Dr. Carlson, um, did, I mean, how, how do you know that you're offering a, comp, a, a price that's competitive versus other places they may be selling? So it definitely depends on the store. Um, Great Stuff, which is my higher end store, sells products that you can find online anywhere. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, that's difficult. Whereas Love Bella, I couldn't even find, I couldn't figure out how to tie one of our dresses dresses, and I couldn't even find the brand online because it was such an obscure vendor. Um, so for me really right now with the role that I play, it's up to the stores what their stuff costs. Um, if we were growing and, you know, really had the capacity to do it, I probably would be going to okay. the businesses and saying, you know, you're selling this for 270, this business is selling it for 70. Why is there such a huge discrepancy there? And is there something we can do to close that gap? Um, because, you know, so right now they're really in charge of it, but I think definitely when I'm finding those sales and those discounts elsewhere, I'm definitely updating them because okay. it's important to know. Anybody else? Are we gonna let Hannah get back to work? <laughs> No. <laughs> do you offer any sort of like like we at my firm we call it like shared services where basically we'll if like say three of our portfolio companies are looking for a similar service we sort of group them together and then they get preferred pricing from a vendor say they use the same like cybersecurity firm or for you it could be something like you know they save on shipping costs because the three of them together could maybe meet minimums for preferred pricing do you do anything like that or sort of see that happening down the line right now i'm so you know just underqualified <laughs> to even discuss it like i you know it's so our operations are so basic you know it couldn't get more basic we're really you know they handle all of the shipping um, I, you know, I don't have like all of their clothes in a warehouse where I can offer, 
you know, where I can group things together and say, oh, all of these are going this direction or all these are, you know, it's definitely, you know, I'm really giving them, I'm working with them kind of in a partnership. So right now, I don't even know. <laughs> right now I don't have anything, but I think, you know, anything that I can do to improve it and make it easier, especially when I'm charging um, for this, maybe if that ever happens, um, it's going to be necessary to make sure that I'm helping out and make, doing everything I can to reduce costs for my partners. So but yeah, so underqualified. <laughs> for those of you on the call, and I hope it's okay, I'm recording this, Hannah, for, for, posterity and for those who aren't here they can watch or other future classes but um, for those of you who are thinking of starting a business someday did you just hear what she said and I thought it was the most revealing which is who the hell knows basically <laughs> I'm learning this as I do it and and I think starting your own business is a, a real test case in learning and every day you learn something new and you can't be afraid to go to a client and say, I just, I have no idea the answer to that. I'll find out. But not knowing's okay. I mean, don't I let the, look that up immediately after I get off this call. Yeah, sure. there's anything I can do. But I think definitely, you know, and it's another reason why when people say, oh, are you going to ditch Bloomingdale's? I'm like, you know, obviously I wouldn't do that for like three months, three weeks of a business or whatever. <laughs> but you know, do you think, you know, down the line you would leave? I have so much to learn about the industry and about how I can better serve these people that, you know, I need that experience to be able to, to do this even better and, you know, yeah, just do it better, honestly. Plus the industry is very different today than it was three months ago. Yeah. And probably will be different three months from now. So uh, any place you can learn is a positive. I promised this would be 50 minutes. We're at 50 minutes. Um, anybody have one last question? Or can we let our entrepreneur get back to work? Anybody? Okay, I tried. Um, thank you, <laughs> Hannah. We really appreciate it. Um, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Don't wear yourself down here because um, it's a lot I to do. Interns now. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> and I, I suspect you'll be contacting Caroline for, you know, your first round of investments in, in the $10 million range in the, in the months ahead. So I'm um, glad you two were, were once again connected here. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for coming. It was great. Let's give her a hand. <laughs> hear much. Feedback also literally just like go to the account and DM it or email me or literally anything because I, I take everything I can get. <laughs> we, we will definitely do that. Thanks so much. Right, thank you. I'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.